My name is Zara. And my name is Maisha. And you're listening to That's What They Said. Where we break down the them versus us narrative. Welcome to another episode of our new series, What They Spelled. Today, we have the immense pleasure of introducing our first ever guest, Aida Menaz. Based in Paris, France, which is basically the fashion capital of the world, Aida is a 26-year-old model she created and brand image and communications officer at a renowned luxury fashion brand, Mugler. Taking the Parisian fashion scene by storm, Aida and her team at Mugler lead strategic public relations initiatives that have turned this famous brand from the 80s into a modern pop culture phenomenon, thanks to Alipa, Cardi B, Miley Cyrus, and Bella Hadid. Like many Bangladeshis, Aida was on the path to becoming a doctor, but she ended up with a double master's in international fashion and luxury brand management from Paris. At home in Bangladesh, Aida is a well-known fashion creative and consultant. She's also a pioneer in the Modest Fashion Network with publications like Vogue and Harper's Bazaar featuring her. Today, we're going to be talking to Aida about her unconventional path to fashion, her experience being a visible Muslim woman of color in the fashion industry in Paris, and about modest fashion in general. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of That's What They Said. We have with us here Aida Menaz, our first guest of season three, well, our first guest in general. We've never had a guest on our show before. So Aida, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so, so excited to be your first guest. Yeah, and she's coming all the way from Paris, France. Well, I guess she hasn't come anywhere. She's on Zoom all the way from Paris, France. So, But mm-hmm. yeah, um, to some of our listeners, we should say that we're we're each of us are and I are very excited because personally um, I've known Ida since our high school days Mm -hmm. and I've seen her evolve um, throughout in the last few years and we weren't necessarily in contact throughout but I've seen her in social media and everything and it's just been amazing I mean when we reached out to Ida for the coming on our podcast I was telling her that 10 years ago I wouldn't have thought that (laughs) I'd be reaching out to you to be on my podcast and you'd be working in New Glare which is, you know, a, basically a luxury fashion brand in Paris. Yeah. So, you know, the world's just like, you never know. Um, so I think your growth as a person and I think your career trajectory, I think a lot of it has just been so inspiring and amazing to watch, really. Yeah. And then I personally was so excited to have you on the show because I love your fashion sense, honestly. Like, I love the color palette. I love just... Your feed is like one of my favorite feeds on Instagram and there's so many up and coming Bangladeshi bloggers, content creators, Instagrammers. So I think you really stood out. I guess that's a good good way to so I guess ask what does say fashion mean? Honestly, it, when it comes to individual style, you just gotta be, you know, you just wear whatever you're comfortable with. To be honest, I have like six pairs of shoes here, right? So one of them is a Converse, one of them is an Air Force, one of them is like a, this Nike chunky shoe I have. Yeah. And then there's like, I have like one heel and two other flip flops. That's all I have. So that's in rotation? Yeah, I just like rotate them over and over again because I don't need more shoes, right? right. So I, whenever I'm wearing like suits or blazers, I paired up with my converse and it's kind of cool when you see like vice president kamala harris also wearing converse I'm like oh my god i feel so validated today game so much like she should hire you as her stylist because you've got the suit game down and i was like i felt so validated when she was also wearing converse and i've been also wearing converse like my whole life 
So it's just like two and you put two and two together. But uh, when it comes to fashion, I am a strong believer of repeating outfits because we have this common perception, especially w- with with people working in fashion or anyone in general. It's like, and when it comes to women, it's like, oh, you've worn one outfit and you cannot repeat it in another oh, function, yeah. another arrangement. And uh, I just don't believe that's true. And um, so that is why it's like I have like basic black, gray, blue, dark blue, like all of these basic blazers and then basic sweatshirts that I repeat over and over again. Sometimes I'm mixing it, mixing the colors up because since they're like mostly neutral, so you don't, like, they don't clash as much. So, so I mean, that has always been, um, not always, I mean, it has recently, be- it became my became my thing but before that I used to experiment a lot especially when it, when I was living in Bangladesh and uh, you're kind of like exposed to a lot more cultural stuff than you are yeah. uh, when it comes to, you know a bit more flamboyant a bit more yeah. when it comes to colorful so, yeah I was a lot more expressive uh, but I think ever since moving to Paris it's kind of like t- t- I had to tone it down uh-huh. Of like you know like because you get inspired by you know external and your external environment and all of these things and uh, honestly wearing black it just like um it's it's less of a hassle because it's just like easy to clean (laughs) i mean it's like i guess it's like a student abroad thing or something i don't know what it is but just like wearing black makes your life a lot easier to deal with and if you don't have like stains or whatever you can just cover it up very easy you also look for comfort a lot in your style oh 100 percent, always like comfort has always been the top priority so i never compromise on that mm-hmm. i always try to make sure that my comfort is down and I've, i'm like really comfortable in the clothes yeah. rather than, you know wearing something that's like super tight or super suffocating or i mean like whatever that i'm not usually used to wearing i'm not gonna wear it at all so i like yeah it has always been like that (laughs) so I guess you kind of answered my next question which I wanted to ask you which was what or who inspires your fashion really or the current fashion sense or style that you currently have like obviously I think you mentioned that your surrounding is inspiring it a lot being in Paris Mm -hmm. working for Mugler but in general where did your inspiration for fashion and come from right now what um Mm. Right. So it's basically uh, I have a, f- a couple of brands that I really look l- like for inspiration to. So the Fro and then there's this Joe Sanders and then there's the Prada collections of Raph Simmons. Mm-hmm. And um, and like all of these brands are very you know, inspiring to me when it comes to like even choosing outfits for my own personal style. And um, I don't necessarily look for um oh I'm gonna follow this person because I like her style like you know I like his or her style a lot it's more to the fact that what is a bit like whatever that's oversized I automatically get drawn to that a bit more compared to anything else so like menswear blazers and the 90s look and then there's um then there's this Instagram page called Ohm Girls and it's, I mean, it's also a magazine now. It's home girls, it's girls who dress like boys. It's kind of like, there's this, um, um, like there's this Instagram page and then they, it became a magazine and it's, it's super nice. So um, all of these, ma- like all of these like 
people on the internet and it, it, it becomes your inspiration at some point and yeah. obviously the people around you also influence you a lot so um yeah. it's not like something very specific but it's very broad what is your what is your like to go outfit or to go mm. i think i'm actually wearing my to go outfit right now like i'm a very sweater person yeah sweaters because i live in canada it's cold <laughs> number one they're <laughs> practical and <laughs> And I feel like you can do a lot with sweaters. Like there's crop sweaters, there's like vests and yeah. yeah. Denim and sweaters is usually my go-to, but in general, I love patterns. I would say patterns and geometric patterns, which is also what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> <Yes>. Triangles. <laughs> I yeah. think for me, um, I really value comfort a lot. Mm, that's true. Uh, I would almost never really care about dressing up till honestly what, when COVID started and I started working from home indefinitely, I missed dressing up because previously what would happen is if there were days when I'd want to dress up, um, oh, like one, because even when I used to, because I work in the corporate world and even there um, in our workplace culture, it was okay to wear like sneakers and like athleisure mm-hmm. so you could be very comfortable. Um, and, but if there were days when I wanted to fancy, you know, wear, go fancy, I could just wear like a very nice like pant and suit and stuff, right? Um, or even the rare like girl snack we'd have here, I dress up. But then COVID happened and I'm like, holy crap. So now I know where to dress up anymore. So now I think I I I try wearing more that's uh, true nice stuff yeah. because I think otherwise I would always go for comfort. Like I rarely would wear heels, mm-hmm. any sort of heels. I'm always sneakers. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Honestly, I try to never used to dress up when we used to hang out. And then all of a sudden during COVID, like all of us are showing up in like sweatshirts and jeans and she's showing up in like nice, like one shoulder things. We're like, actually, we're going to like normal places. You never dress up usually. And now you dress up. I think she really like realized that I don't get to dress up. Anymore, I took it so for I'm granted. going to dress up wherever yeah. we go. It's like right now we should make the effort of dressing up. And, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, I mean, like it's very easy to um show up for you know your zoom calls or your work calls and just not turn on the video exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but i think it's 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 better to turn on the video so that you know like you can make other people see that hey i've dressed up for this this is the yeah. effort that i'm giving yeah. in order to be and be dedicated to this call so no. i think it's important to dress up for like even if it's on zoom and we're working from home but it's just some it gives you something to look forward to and you can just take cute selfies after you know like, yeah <laughs> so well yeah i read in one of your interviews that you did with i think Dhaka tribune or somewhere um i think you mentioned that your family kind of brought your interest about in fashion because yeah. they're everybody in your family is really interested in fashion i think that's a lot where mine came from like my mom she wears beautiful saris and um, she loves patterns and textiles so much as well. So I think a lot of that for me came from there. I really miss wearing saris and like the beautiful prints oh and patterns. God. Can you drape it on your own? No. I learned recently. Yeah, very recently. I it learned. takes a long time for me. A long personally, time. Yeah. But I can't, I can't drape saris. Oh, really? No, I can't. You have this photo on your feet where you literally wore this really nice, I think, floral sari and maybe Converse or sneakers. And you were strutting in the streets of Paris. Mm-hmm. Or basically- oh, yeah. Was it Gomez? I don't remember. But yeah, uh, I think it was last Eid that I was wearing a sari. But my friend, who was also Bengali and uh, works in design, um, she is the one who draped it like on me. Oh, okay. okay. I can't drape saris. I know. I'm like, there are like a few things that I, I can't do, which is tie my own hair, like braid my own hair. Oh, really? Ride a bicycle. 
Saris. There's like few vital, I think there's like vital life skills that are still missing. I think I people know. learn, I think some of these vital skills, they don't teach us in Bangladesh. Like, right, I didn't, I didn't know how to ride a bike until this summer as well. I still don't know how to swim, so. I don't know how to swim. Like, <laughs> these are life skills we need to get on. I, yeah, I have, tr- I have this traumatic swimming experience that I was, um, because uh, we used to, I, I came, I come from a small town called Narangonj, yeah. right? Oh, uh, and every summer there was this a uh, swimming course that Narangonj Club. Uh, my mom enrolled me in a swimming lessons every every day at four p.m. So I used to go there, and the teacher was so bad with me. Like she used to yell in front of my. <laughs> I was like what eight years old, and she used to yell at me, and I had this weird traumatic experience from that. Mm-hmm. And I basically, like ever since, I've just like I've never learned swimming after. Yeah, but it stays. I feel like because I had. One time, I think, because I know how to drive a car, but it's sometimes hard for me to drive at really like high speed mm-hmm. because I got into an accident when I was a kid. So now if, whenever somebody yeah, is driving traumatized really fast, I'm like holding on to the, like the car because <laughs> I'm like, you know, just to be cautious. Yeah. 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 So I, I feel, you know, but you know yeah. what? It's never too late. It's never too learn. Yeah. Anything. And I think Bangladeshi kids don't learn a lot of, we're both from we're all of us are from Bangladesh, in case we didn't mention that yet. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we miss out on a lot of key skills, like especially driving, swimming, biking. I actually learned how to drive this summer as well. So I also think languages, in terms of languages, it's so we are not that strong because we're we're basically taught only learn how to speak and we only learned how to speak English, right? Mm-hmm. And like, um, but when I see my peers, like when I came to Paris to do my masters um my my friends i mean they know like four languages what that's crazy <laughs> I'm, I'm french italian i'm like wow I'm, like, I'm, I'm, i think I'm, i mean this is where i'm like you know because we, we used to watch bollywood oh stuff as a kid this is where i'm like okay you know what at least i can speak hindi at least we can we can say that at least we can say that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh yeah we can speak hindi but can you write it no no <laughs> <laughs> You can't see how the you can't check in on your LinkedIn box and say, "Oh, I have native and five languages." Ah, that's true. That's, that's true. true. That's, that's a good true. point. Good point. So yeah. while we're on the topic of, I guess, Bangladeshi parenting and upbringing and family, I think yeah. your career choice is unconventional. I would say it's quite an un- unconventional career to, choice. And, and to give some background, and we already yeah. mentioned, I guess, in the bio, but uh, or maybe that either you could. I mean, you know, the change and. I think I, I I come from a typical story of how Bangladeshi kids are generally raised, right? So it's either you become a doctor, you're an engineer, a lawyer, like this fixed yeah. that you have to choose, and you have to follow it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So um, I I I I was told from the very beginning that I had to become a doctor. So mm-hmm. okay, so when it came to Olival, when I did, when I gave my Olivals with Maisha, we had, um, we, I had biology that I got A's in, and then I had chemistry that I uh, got A's in. So I was like, oh, when it came to university, yeah. and after A level, I also took biology and chemistry as well for A level. So when it came to university, I was like, okay, what am I gonna do with? I have A's in these subjects, so. You have biology, you have chemistry, you mix it all together, it's biochemistry. So let's pick that subject. So um, that's how I got into um, learning biochemistry. So, but in the between, like in the middle of third year, I was like, hey, I don't think I want to do this because it was just, I just couldn't picture myself all my life 
being in a laboratory and just doing researching on rats. I know it would have been amazing for me, I don't know, make some vaccines for COVID or something, but I just couldn't picture myself doing biochemistry at the time. So um, what I did was I remember uh, I I went to NSU to learn biochemistry. So at uh, on, I think it was my second year of college, I was like, telling I was just saying it to my friends over coffee I was like hey I think I'm gonna make a YouTube tutorial when I go home of how to wear a scarf okay so that's how I got started that night I went home I made my tutorial it took me seven hours to edit and then I posted <laughs> it to the internet it's I still have, there Sorry. I remember watching it either when you posted that yeah yeah because yeah, it was I think you shared it or some people shared it on Facebook and I had you on Facebook and I remember because you were it was a hijab tutorial right you're putting a scarf nicely in hijab and I remember I was like oh no no way <laughs> exactly so I did that and then after I made a couple of videos like that and uh, that was like my introduction to like the digital world and all of those things because I used to see other people like doing stuff on the internet and we we're talking about what 2012 2013 and it was just when things were picking up when it came to the whole digital blogging and stuff like that. I mean, it started earlier, but the huge was this year? Uh, 2013. I made that tutorial in 2013, I remember. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when it started. But uh, what I, the, the kind of responses I, I, I got on the internet, like uh, on my comments and like people who reached out to me by DMs and all, it um it made me realize oh maybe this is something that would be interesting to work on on the side while I was studying at NSU right so I that's how I got started and then it got picked up by different magazines like this like small niche modest fashion magazines in Singapore and Indonesia and 2015 um I got invitation to go to Indonesia Fashion Week to talk about modest fashion of Bangladesh I was like I, I, I that was my first time I, I was ever invited to like anything like that so I took my mom with me to Jakarta and oh, wow. it was just me and my mom like uh, on a flight from like uh, we had a layover in Singapore and then we went to Jakarta and we checked into our hotel she draped me in a Jamdani sari well, blue, I, I can I can give you the photo after um, she draped me in a blue like a really pale blue Jamdani sari that I wore and my first speaking gig and oh, this represent yes yeah yes. totally so <laughs> It was quite exciting and then uh, I think that was the first time my mom saw me speaking because she, she was like oh yeah what is she doing with her computer all the time talking to yeah. <laughs> who knows what is she up to so yeah. she never like under fully understand that but when she saw me that was the first time she saw me speaking with like a, a, like a, with a panel of like other people and there's like an audience of 200 people right so um, then she started to get a hang of what I was doing but still, since I come from a comparatively um, conservative family, right? So I'm the first daughter in the family that actually went out to abroad to study. Oh, so they were kind of skeptical, and they would never. I'm not sure if it was not if it wasn't my if it wasn't for my brother, to be honest, who um, supported me throughout through and throughout. Um, it would have never been, I would have never been able to do that, you know, because I remember uh, him over FaceTime telling my mom and the timeline we're talking like uh, 2016. So um, my brother was just like telling my mom, if you don't let her do what she wants to do, she's going to be a terrible doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I I like candor. 
I like yeah. I like the fact that we'll be great on it. So. Yeah. yeah. So it's like she's like, yeah, you don't know she's gonna cut people open and for- forget to like. Oh my god. Stitch them, um, stitch them after, and then you're gonna get you you all of you guys are gonna get sued. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's what he. That's what he just said that to my mom over Facetime. And um, your parents, doctors or engineers or oh you know they just want they were my dad is a retailer <laughs> like all of my family is in fashion to a certain extent because my uncles are in export yeah like whole stuff and uh, my dad is in retail my brother makes fashion websites for like companies for a living yeah. Well, it's like all of my family is somewhat related to the apparel industry, I would say. And, um, but they wanted me to be a doctor. Because- <laughs> and I'm like, it, it seems like <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like our parents have something they want to fulfill. Like they couldn't become a doctor. So like my, my child Kid has to like, fulfill it. Yeah. yeah. has to fulfill that dream that we exactly. need to be a doctor in the family. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, like, and, uh, I think I finished my thesis for NSU in April 2017. And um, by September, I was in Paris to do my master. Um, yeah. It wasn't actually as smooth as I just described it because I did apply to a couple of colleges in um, New York. I got into Parsons for fashion marketing, but that was the time when just Trump got elected and my mom was losing her shit, you know? She was, you know, yeah. you don't, she shouldn't go. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so crazy. I, I, it's all like very anti-Muslim kind of rhetoric yeah. going around. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was a weird time at that. Like, it was a weird time. And, uh, and the second option for was uh, for me to come to Paris because I also applied here. And um, yeah, I mean. I think that, that, see, that's, that's what also makes it what, what you did a bit unconventional because a lot of people say, from Bangladesh and stuff, right? They would would their first choice be going to the US or somewhere because it's English speaking, yeah. whereas you chose to go to France, which is French, right? Yeah. So you have that barrier in say culture in language. But yeah. I think that's where you made that choice that broke those barriers down in a way. So mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it quite unconventional in a way. Yeah, for sure. Sure. I mean, like, especially I, I can I can tell you by experience, I mean it's not an easy move to basically you know like choose to come to a country where uh, English is not the first language you have to try to communicate in French and I didn't speak a word of French when I came here so (laughs) it was just crazy I mean like um, uh, I I remember taking three months of uh, classes at Alliance Francaise in Taka right so I, I took three months of classes but I remember when I got out of the airport with two suitcases in my hand I mean, I wanted to speak French to the taxi driver so bad. <laughs> I forgot everything. I was like, oh, oh, monsieur, can I go to the hotel here? <laughs> oh, oh, no, it's just oh. not happening to me. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm perfect at French. I'm like taking language classes every day. Yeah. To get like, there are like certain levels for French, right? So yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take, I'm, I'm hopefully going to take the B1 exam in may so i'm like, like what is doing the one exam it's basically different levels right so you have a1 which is the beginner level yeah. then you have a2 which is the intermediate b1 would b1 is like the the minimum senior level you need to have in order to you know, like do yeah. some sort of government applications for example if you want to um, 
you know, like get certifications and stuff. So um, I want to have a B1 level, B1 level. So at least I can say to the people like, hey, you know what? I do speak French. Yeah. It's been yeah. Years. I'm not embarrassed that I can't speak like <laughs> obviously as much as French as you can, but I still can pi- get by, right? So I'm still like working on that. So it's a work in process, progress. So I guess because you were saying that you you don't really you didn't starting out you didn't speak french but you slowly sort of you know you're learning that right? so i guess how did then make how did you make that transition to mugler or maybe you can just tell us like what's a day what's a day like for either yeah. at mugler oh so basically i mean if it's a non covid day um <laughs> yeah let's talk about let's talk about non covid let's take a let's yeah, take- It's like <laughs> that we'll have some sort of days like that um in the future typically i go to work usually around like 9 30 10 yeah. um then it's just me in front of my computer and uh you know working on different projects like sometimes we have a vip project that we uh, we are making custom outfits for the grammys or we're making custom for their next concert yeah. so it's just like a lot of follow-ups on the email and stuff and then we have our weekly meetings with our pr team that we need to you know like get all the season strategy in order that we're going to approach these these magazines we're going to work with these um influencers for the next season and stuff like that so it's just mostly uh there are like long term projects that we're working towards and there are also like short term like uh projects like working with uh different magazines to you know push for new editorials so right. it's it's all of those uh, it just like a bits and bits and bit of everything uh, all together but i mean like by the time you're done it's it's you've done a bit of everything so oh this is what i've done every day because it's just like a like after a project is done it's like a culmination of everything you've done for the past 2 3 months right like yeah. you have to do follow up appointments you have to do follow ups with so many people and then set deadlines and strategies for the for the upcoming season so we're we're like first we work with two collections at hand so obviously there is the future collection that's going to be launched and there is like a launch preparation that happens yeah. and then there's a collection that's already out and we are pushing that collection out and making celebrities wear it on different events and you know like um and and also working with a lot I know I mean your day sounds it sounds cuz i mean you know zara is an engineer i'm an economist so <laughs> your day sounds so different yeah. <laughs> we yeah but but it's in a way it's similar because it seems like you're you focus really on like communication coordination and i mean which is at least for me like that's what i do except my communication and coordination for construction site <laughs> but not as fun like i don't get to meet cool celebrities but i don't know if you get to meet them do you get to meet the celebrities or be in contact um, and like usually we're mostly in touch with the styling teams because right. that's what you know that's where the creative uh yeah. to on at the time but um when we do fittings uh, right now we can't do fittings because of covid but usually yeah. during fitting we get to meet celebrities oh. and obviously when they come to the shows or they come to meet our creative director mm-hmm. that's when we get to like you know get a glimpse or like even well, um you, uh, is there any anecdote you can share i don't know about <laughs> story. not not about meeting celebrity but about i don't know yeah, about your an work. experience like, or like just like we don't want to make it sound like it's just all fun and games like obviously these shows no. are so no. professional and they're so well done so you guys put a lot of work into this oh yeah yeah, yeah. definitely you you've seen the cardi web video right yeah yeah exactly so there are like two megan and cardi they 
they uh, coordinated outfits. There's a purple and a neon corset. Yeah. Oh yeah, right, right. New glare and also the the whole cheetah room that yeah. Cardi was in and her whole outfit well, that was from New Glare as well. So, so did you shoot that during COVID? Like I don't know. Like how did that? I'm going to tell you the story. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. So basically, we started the conversation with them in. I think she was in. She was in Paris in January, and Ben, my boss, and like there were like a few conversations that when it when it comes to like custom projects, you have to start conversations way way in advance. Yeah. Otherwise, it's impossible for us to go to the atelier and say, "Oh, we have the thing you need to guys need to do now." Right? <laughs> we need to like adapt to their schedule and you know keep everyone's deadlines in mind. So it's like thinking about everything from all sides. So um, the conversations, I, I, from what I believe, started in like pre-pandemic and then it got developed uh, during pandemic, like the first lockdown in April. Mm-hmm. So when that's when we decided, hey, it's going to be cool to, uh, we got to know that, oh, Megan and Cardi are doing a rap video together. So that's something we would definitely love to be a part of. And um, well, I think then uh, usually what happens is our creative director, he's like, honestly, one of the most genius creative people in the industry right now so um he developed sketches according to what uh, you know you have to listen to what the styling team is, uh, has a vision in mind and then the creative director has a vision in mind so they basically we arrange for them to talk and we also participate in that and then um we send the sketches they like the sketches or um, or they we, they choose from whatever sketches they uh, we have proposed and then we basically start, you know, uh, looking to see when the atelier has the time and the schedule to make it all work. So, um, and that is when the lockdown just started, right? So we were like, shit, we won't be able to do this at all. So um, I remember, and then, uh, but what happened, the whole project was done remotely in people's houses. Mm-hmm. And, and there were like a few people at the atelier and I mean like it was just like at this point like a fashion emergency yeah. so, um, there were like three four people at the atelier they constantly worked around the clock to finish the outfit and then we had to ship it right so um, in the meantime uh, what card uh, what the styling team wanted was like hey the you know the cheetah outfit you guys are designing we want to make the entire room the same um we will ha- we want to have the entire room fabricate like you know put the fabric on the entire to ha- match her outfit mm-hmm. so uh, our developing team um, basically called the guys at italy who basic uh, who who developed the fabric the cheetah fabric just for us yeah. and then we got i remember freaking out like i had a phone i had a, a, a friend on facetime and we were like talking and he basically saw me melt melting um, like I have a complete nervous breakdown because um, what happened was I was not finding a direct flight to from Como where the um, fabric was being made to ship it directly to LA. So and then we had to hire like a proper private plane from mm-hmm. from Como to go to LA. 
and uh, it costs an enormous amount of money but it's just like you have to go to great lengths Mm -hmm. in terms of coordination for these things to um, pull it it all together right being able to do just that in the middle of a lockdown where you don't know okay there's no flight what am I going to do so the uh, like trying to coordinate all of these things and to make it reach a certain place at a certain time it's crucial especially for working with projects like these and especially during comms it's like everything is so time sensitive that it cannot reach six hours later it has to reach at that time and you have to make sure that it reaches at that time and um it it was all in the process but i'm really happy it all worked out and um i remember i was in my um flight to dhaka because i after all of that uh, project was over um, I booked a flight to talk, uh, to go to Dhaka in August. And that was my first like pandemic flight. Oh, um, right? yeah. So I remember screaming at the top of my lungs at the ho- my hotel room because I had a layover in Dubai. Uh, so I was like, I, like when the video came out, I'm like, holy shit, this is what we did. This is crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's the thing, right? Because as viewers, yeah. we see the video and we saw yeah. the video. And I think the thing with Mugler is, I think you guys' outfits are so bold and they somehow bring out, like they accentuate a woman's sexuality in such a bold and powerful way. So the whole outfit of like in WAP, right? That's the thing though, as you you described all this process that went behind Mm -hmm. putting what we saw on television, we're just like amazed by the viewers, right? But to know the amount of work that goes behind to create that piece of art. I mean, that's the thing, right? Even for fashion shows, right? So um, it's just that you you see only like 10 or 15 models walking by and it's just a 10-minute show, but it's like months of work and people staying up all night try to make sure every single thing goes perfectly. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people for the common eye, it's very easy to just say, oh, this is just a fashion show, people just walking by. And we're like, no, everything is time. Everything is styled. Everything is there because it's supposed to be there. You yeah. Know? Exactly. Right. So it's very intentional. And um, I mean, like, honestly, I feel I feel very lucky to be part of, you know, um, being able to contribute to these sort of cool projects and have these sort of weird anecdotes to say oh yeah I had a meltdown (laughs) in the the quarantine because the flights there was no flights to ship fabric to but it all worked out good. In the pandemic it sounds like oh why do you care so much about cloth but it's like if that didn't work out the way it did the fan the critic the critics would just come out and be like that video didn't work well or just because it's COVID they lost their and you know they're having a moment they're doing so well right now exactly exactly so i mean yeah our our team is the best to be honest i mean we work so hard and everybody's so dedicated to their craft and uh, it's just uh you know and uh, not necessarily everybody is from fashion background so that you always have this so many new things and new conversations that you can bring to the table and um it's 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 nice to be heard you know what I'm trying to say? When you're putting, when you're putting opinions or you're putting suggestions out there, and yeah. your superiors or even your colleagues are accepting that, or even you know, like putting it into the mix to see have a some sort of different perspective and different angle to um, their conversations, it's 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 super cool. To- um, so, and you know, to your point, you mentioned that about being heard and 
um, you know, bring certain conversations to the table, right? I think, so I guess, because either you are a, you're, you're a visibly Muslim woman of color who works in, in the Paris fashion industry, right? For a brand, which is one of the leading luxury brands in the world. Um, so I think, uh, I think what, what do you think? Because, you know, diversity and inclusion and equity is something that's sort of like taking over the Western world in the last few years, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the case, I think, even five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but I think only in the last, I think, two, three years. People have been conscious about yeah, it. Yeah, and it's become like now you, everybody's making an active effort, right? And um, yeah. I think, um, and this is where I think all three of us have common common experiences yeah. because we all work in fields where, you know, we don't have people who look like us as much there. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but more, your one is more so unconventional because it's the fashion industry. Nobody, like, once again, Dara and I are economists and engineers. Why do you keep saying it? <laughs> no, but that's where, so I'm, yeah. I'm very curious to know as to yeah. how, you know, because I think representation matters in any industry. Um, can you like talk to, talk a bit about, you know, diversity and inclusion within the fashion industry and what your experience has been? Because being a, I think being a, being a Muslim woman of color, I'm pretty sure that you bring something to that table too. So if you could share some anecdotes or something, like, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that essentially? So I would say that um, North America like is obviously leading in terms of speaking about diversity yeah. and Europe still needs to play, uh, still playing catch up in terms of that. Yeah. I mean, um, like our casting for the shows, for example, at McGlare has been very diverse and that has been the vision of the career director for such a long time then ever since he has been here. And um, it's really inspiring to see what he does. And recently now also you see that uh, brands like Versace have this curve, like, you know, they have Curve Your Woman. Yeah. yeah. Super yeah. cool to notice. So um, yeah, I mean, like Europe is still playing catch up in terms of that. And uh, when it comes to diversity, I mean, I have, I've had, buyers during like fashion week we also have like commercial showrooms right and also press days where different journalists come to see the collection obviously you show it on the runway and then you have it on like racks in a showroom right where they come to see the clothes up close like in person up close so um oh um either they would say like oh uh, are you from like the uh, the uae or your emirati i'm like no let's say oh wh- which part of uh, which part of uh, where are you from i said oh i'm from bangladesh like, is it a part of india <laughs> no it's not a part of india but it's like it's right <laughs> yeah. there. so you're not that far away yeah, yeah. So, oh that it's 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 very shocking for a lot of people to see that um you know the person they have spoken to for so long on the phone this is what she looks like in person uh-huh. you know because uh, we like we do exchange a lot of um emails with editors of different magazines and stuff and when they see us in person it's still a it's a, still a new feeling so that's pretty cool to see their reaction sometimes to see oh this is this girl from bangladesh and uh, you know um of color uh, wearing a hijab working in fashion and is at uh, this xyz company right so so that's a very cool interesting um like exp- like whenever you see that and you're like oh okay that's that, that's still very new yeah, uh, in terms of Bangladesh in fashion like in the line of fashion right you usually think of Bangladesh I don't like Bangladesh is not very well known right honestly usually Bangladesh is always known to be the exporter right yeah. and uh, uh like manufacturing exporting it's not very sexy Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. 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 
it's essential, it's crucial for any sort of apparel, right? And um, Bangladesh is the leading manufacturer for that, but it's not very like uh, something that's like flashes or it's yeah, very show-offy. Yeah. So, let's see, let's see, that's, usually that's, don't that. let's see, that's the thing though, because I, I think the fact that, you know, because when I, when, when I think of representation, um, I think that just by the act of you doing what you are, because, you know, mm-hmm. one can argue, because diversity inclusion is something so broad, right? And, yeah. you know, a lot of things need to be done by a lot of the Western world, you know, North America, Europe and all. Uh, but what do you call it? I think, but sometimes I think that as an individual, it's, it's a big weight to take, right? Oh, I'm, I'm a person of color. Should I be doing more to like, you know, speak mm-hmm. out or what, what? But sometimes I think just that, act like just the fact that you're working in Mugler and the fact that they see oh this is the person I've been communicating because you know you don't we it's not it's not actively being registered but subconsciously it's yeah. registering in people's mind that oh like you know this is okay like um, because I, I think um personally for example when I started out I started out in consulting uh, right after school and uh I remember that I'd be in a room full of like you know my bosses my partners and like senior managers and clients right and I realized that if I'm in the room it took me a year or two to realize but I was like you know if I'm not here there's nobody else who's like me here yeah right and just I'm sitting here that itself you because visually your brain's registering this person's here I think as, as an individual, the fact, I think, and this is where I think you breaking into fashion has a lot of impact in a way that mm-hmm. even you might not realize, or it might not seem as say, big now, but I think down the line, it, like it won't be surprising to mm-hmm. see another um, woman of color or another immigrant or another Muslim to see her in fashion, right? Or even yeah. for Bangladeshi girls who follow you on Instagram, they could think of it as a potential career path. Definitely. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm honestly very humbled by all the people who de- um, reach out to me on DM and say that I've inspired them to, you know, follow their path and, uh, you know, do things on their own. So I'm really touched by that every single yeah. message I get. It's super inspiring. But it's like, um, yeah, when, when I went to school, for example, and uh, obviously the conversation of appar- the apparel industry manufacturing comes up and then, um there will be people talking about rana plaza and you know showing all those bbc or cnn documentaries that has gone around you know capturing that uh, tragedy and i just feel like that um i mean like i understand it's a big tragedy and there has been a lot of steps uh, you know we're still it's still a work in progress in order to ensure you know proper safe environment and working conditions for people right so um but it's like, but it's kind of like, it feels very lonely to be the only person talking about it and say, hey, guys, you know what? This is not Bangladesh is. And I've been there. I've worked there. I've lived there my whole life. And do like, it's just that there are good things and there are bad things. And there are like two different sides. And each country, each sector, each industry has their goods and bads. So um, it's just really sad that, you know, we push, we put the focus or spotlight on the bad things and talk about it so much that the good things get subsided. So, um, yes, we'll see that with the Rana Plaza incident, we have all these, um, no one really cares about their workers and their bad yeah. And that's the perception. I mean, like, honestly, it's just, I've, I've spoken to a lot of um, my teachers as well and say, hey, Western manufacturers, especially like not like Western brands, we need to, they need to say that, hey, uh, they need to see that just to save sometimes what they do, 
to save a dollar or two on the final retail price, they would, you know, instead of going to the properly certified factories, yeah. Yeah. some shady factory that, you know, like uh, breaks up the consignment to like smaller orders and just gives it to this uh, factories, which is not registered or properly not operated. Yeah. So it's in, in turn, exactly. I mean, like, in turn, that's uh, what they, what they do is they're perpetuating this, um, this habit of sweatshops. Yeah. And, I feel really, I, I feel really sad. I mean, like, hey, you're just like associating a country mm-hmm. with sweatshops, and that's not what you're supposed to do. It's a uh, hundred and fifty million people living in that country, one hundred and fifty, I guess, um, living in the people living in that country, and not everybody works in sweatshops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You learn to like, you know, the outer image and perception. So. Honestly, like sometimes, and, and, and it's the same thing with race and inequality. What we do is like, um, like I mean, it's just a, honestly, it's just my personal opinion. Sometimes I feel like people to a certain extent get very sensitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I can get very sensitive when it comes to topic of religion, topic of my country or my this color of my skin. Yeah. But I can also take the route of being a little bit open-minded and invite questions that I can, I think I'm able to answer so that people get to know more about me or yeah. though they don't get you know closed off yeah. so if there are questions like don't be afraid to ask me if I don't know the answer I'll tell you that hey I don't know the answer let me google it for you or let me do something of, or ask somebody who knows more about this yeah, yeah. So but, I, but I think I think and that's where you know because I think it works like it's got to be an effort from both ways. Uh, yeah. Say for you're saying that you know you're open to receiving questions, but at the same time, the person who's asking the questions has to put some effort into devising yeah. their question, right? They can't just come and ask you mm. something as basic as something that they probably could Google, yeah. right? But, but I do they, appreciate that you're taking one for the team and you are open to educating other people about um, our yeah. country and about even say Islam and whatnot because. Yeah. Honestly, like when you don't have the knowledge is when you start creating the misconceptions about yeah. certain people, the, or bias. Religions, the bias, and that's when you have the fear. And that fear is what eventually turns into hatred, violence, and all that, all yeah. that stuff, right? So like, honestly, kudos to you for really representing our people, Bangladeshi people, Muslim women in an industry where maybe they don't think that people like you can make it big, you know? And I, and yeah. I think you're breaking stereotypes yeah. in a way, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I really want to, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, because I was going to, because I was going to, Sort of now ask because you mentioned because you, you talked about when we, we, we are now talking a bit about religion right yeah so because i was going to say that you are a visibly muslim uh, woman in mm-hmm. paris um yeah. and i think we uh, we're all familiar that you know in france there's a lot of ups and downs just like in north america that you hear with muslims actually i'll scratch that muslims across the world in the news we're not maybe represented in the best way yeah. and that's just a fact that we have to live with right but i yeah. think in france especially in the, like last year there was this hashtag trending boycott france right yeah. uh because of um because i think here's my under- here's, here's our understanding and correct me if i'm wrong because france is a secular nation and um they have that church well i guess religion and state boundaries right yeah but i think uh because certain incidents took place took place due to radical um islam islamic extremists who you know who can who 
basically took lives and it was, you know we condone it and it's not acceptable even as condemn, Muslims yeah. yeah sorry we, we condemn we condemn it <laughs> God, I condone. Condone. God no. uh, we condemn it and even as Muslims right we know that it's wrong so but I think you know then boycott France started trending because I think Macron was like we need to find a way to sort of like curb uh, or help certain communities right or French yeah well. so I think not just during that time, but overall, you've been living in Paris for the last few years. I think, how how would you say your experience has been? Because I think you you mentioned a very good point, either that you're open to receiving questions, right? So it's better to clarify as opposed to let someone create... No, obviously and- something that, as like how you said, I completely agree with you, that um, basic questions that you can simply Google and find out, you're not supposed to ask me these. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, if there are questions that you think, uh, you know, like you would like to ask me, I'm open to those questions. But honestly, I've I've not faced any sort of um, hatred or like, you know, like ha- hatred or crime in terms of that personally. But um, and I honestly have super supporting people around me and my, and my co-workers. They're super nice. And it's, it's just I've never faced anything like that on a firsthand basis. So, yeah, having like having some sort of a strong opinion on it is not really my place, especially if a, in a country where I've been only here for the past three years, four years. Right. So, um but I, I've had friends that have faced the subtle uh, racism, hatred in the past when they were like going to schools or going to colleges or even on a, even now uh, on certain levels. So, but it's just, I feel, to be honest, as a person, it's just like, um, you just got to pick your battles, right. you know, because it's just that, yeah, I mean, there are there are good things and bad things about a nation but for me like um it's just not my place to say oh what they're doing is wrong because you also have to understand the point of view from the other side and at least try to empathize obviously taking lives or take like any sort of violence in general is like condemned by all religion right so it's just like you're we're not supposed to do that in, in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So like people do get the chance to like you know taking it to like different extremes, which is not which is not at all cool. So um, I don't think like taking an issue or making it my issue or me like you know being um, too um, aggressive about it. It's not going to solve any problem because uh, you can't solve aggression with aggression. Yeah. You kind of have like really and especially when it comes to like topics like these which are extremely sensitive you have to handle them tactfully and i'm not saying that the leaders of a country that we particularly live in or in in france in i'm sure in some like the leaders in canada or wherever in the world they're not like 100 percent accurate or their decisions are not always crystal clear perfect right so there are good things and bad things on both sides and we just gotta you know evaluate and see if we can you know bring bring people together i mean you know like when the boycott friends hashtag started trending right and i think the zara and i spoke about this that we don't understand why this is getting so big because it i guess we were talking about how everybody's talking about boycott friends but nobody's like you know nobody's talking about boycott china or, you know, like, what about for their atrocities against India? Why don't you boycott India, guys? Like, it's just like... Movies. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they boycott India. They've been like being oppressive to Muslims for generations now. 
Yeah. Or even like think about the struggles of the Palestinians, right? So I'm like, this yeah. is like, um, you know, if, if you take a principle of like boycotting France, that principle is you should And I think yeah. by you not boycotting France or like continue to work in France, you are showing the French people that someone who looks like you, someone who wears a headscarf like you can contribute positively to France, yeah. can help France so that you are not a threat to France. You believing in it? I just don't understand why. Like, yeah. like for example, I mean, like it's. I understand where you're coming from. Like, you know, me being France and you know working, it's it's cool. Yeah. But when this whole boycott France issue happened, I like and I got DMs from Bangladeshis who were like yeah. telling me, "Oh, you should boycott France." And I was like, I didn't respond to any of them because I mean, like, who the fuck cares, yeah. right? But it's just that. I thought to myself, I was like, is this guy going to pay rent by the end of the month? If he does, <laughs> I'm more than happy to sit at home, not go to work, yeah. don't like not do anything. I'm just going to send him a bill by the end of the month. <laughs> you pay my rent today and I'm going to boycott whatever you want me to boycott. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, it's not nonsense. To no, be but actually, uh, because you can ask a person to boycott any nation, especially the one they're living in. Yeah. yeah. And and because, no and because you know you you say you say you say boycott and you're sort of like closing the door on any sort of conversation that could happen right mm-hmm. so then you just reach an impasse with people right there's yeah. no constructive way forward yeah. you're just aggressively saying boycott right so I don't think that was I mean I don't think that you know people might have their reasons for that hashtag but I don't think boycotting is was the way to go but anyway reasons dialogues is the one that yeah, you need yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like I think every conflict needs to have a resolution I think by dialogues I never did M events so I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but every conflict needs to be resolved in like in terms with dialogue and you know like hearing each other's opinion and trying to come with come to a common consensus yeah, yeah. So different levels not exactly so if we can't do that then yeah. I mean the point and I'm, I'm just a bit like hey the guy the people who um who are at, like who basically boycotted France six months ago when it comes to you buying a Louis Vuitton you're gonna be the first one <laughs> you're gonna be the first one in the store like yeah I need to buy a bag for my g- girlfriend because it's Valentine's Day <laughs> <laughs> good, good timing it's Valentine's Day yeah. soon yeah I mean you're not gonna like you're asking people to do it and then you're not going to do it yourself. Yeah. What are you, what, what yeah. are you? I, I appreciate the one thing because you know what, what we said, right? See in the news, only the incidents, which are actually ironically not as high in frequency, right? Those, those get highlighted in the news, right? Because a lot of people say, think that America in general is extremely say hostile to, or America is very like, gun loving and stuff like that right but when I talk to my friends who live in say Boston or in New York and you know they they, they tell me that you know not not everybody not everybody in America hates people of color right just like what you just said that you haven't experienced any sort of hostility right like I have like the people that I work with and the people that I hang out with on a regular basis they're like the most well-traveled well-spoken well-educated people like you know I've ever met so I mean they would always be mindful of what they're saying what they're doing so it's just that like Bangladesh also has certain extremist point of views on certain a lot of things and so does Canada and a lot of regions every 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 country has that guys so we're highlighting some parts of it 
some parts of it gets filtered and you know ends up on media some parts of it doesn't mm-hmm. and you like it's just like what we see from the outside and we're like um yeah. we're kind of like making our own conclusions yeah, yeah. by Vuitton, so it's fine <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> no, and since we're i guess um we're um we're, we talked about i guess being visibly a muslim um we, we kind of wanted to talk to you about get your take on modest fashion right because i think modest fashion has really been breaking out in the last few years i mean uh i think the, the biggest person in the the model that i'm all familiar with is halima right um uh, mm-hmm. in uh, i think sports illustrated she's walked in uh, big fashion weeks and stuff like that so i think modest fashion is really breaking out and you you're like a, a proponent and like a, you know you're like one of the i guess the face of modest fashion you've been featured in vogue arabia and uh, you've gone to like uh, this bunch of different south asian fashion weeks and panels and stuff right so i guess yeah. because i i think there's so much scope in modest fashion right yeah. so like where where do you see modest fashion going this here's the thing though modest fashion is about like you know and i guess modest fashion is about more cover and stuff right but even now a lot of people who may not necessarily dress up mod- modestly um modest fashion has become something that they um wear like over over yeah. uh, over oversized layering oversized blazers and stuff like that like it's it's it looks so good now so where do you see it going i guess i would say like for example you know like uh, with the concept of um like fashion is to express yourself like that's the basic definition of fashion right yeah. so you have like some people or some women or men whoever it is they find that they can express themselves better when they're not wearing clothes yeah. and yeah. then you have the other side of people they think they can express themselves better when they are fully covered yeah so that's where modest fashion comes in right so you have fashion and then you have modest fashion that basically um essentially means that obviously a modest uh, garment would not necessarily have all those cuts and cutouts that Cardi B would wear for a music <laughs> video but it's basically um it's basically like you know something of a much more for looser cut or looser silhouette that people like me or people in general would love to wear so you kind of don't want to associate it with certain religion because modesty is visible in all sorts of religion That's so there is uh, there is like oh, you have a certain uh, like you see the catholic christians you see the jews and you also see muslims they all like just like who follow it or like you know who do take the religious aspect of the um things in into how they dress they always do dress up a little bit more modestly than um than their peers or whoever so but you don't want to call it jewish fashion you don't want to call it islamic fashion or you don't want to call it a catholic fashion it's it's modest fashion is what just covers the whole segment or whole a whole area of that yeah so um obviously what i've seen in the past, what i've seen i mean like i've done like there are a lot of research studies uh, done by um thompson readers and salam getaway like a lot of research um has been going on uh, since 2014 and uh, it and it's it's not there's no like slowing down to be honest because um, like it's just how people dress and there are, there's like there's also a certain matter of representation that comes into 
comes into the mix of the conversation. So you see a lot of um, big brands, they also have a modest line just for the Islamic countries or just for like the countries in the Middle East, right? So they launch like capsule collections for Ramadan, they call uh, capsule collections for Eid and stuff. So it's just, it's, it just clearly shows that there is a big appetite for those kind of garments. And the consumer, the modest, like the modest consumer, it's not, they don't follow certain trends. They incorporate trends into their wardrobe, exactly. right? So it's just like, um, like, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to change the way I dress because I saw something on the runway. I would rather take that and see how that works for me mm-hmm. instead of the other way around. So um, that is why like when it comes to the modest consumer you have to have certain guidelines and certain key things that you have to keep in mind when it comes to designing a collection to how you market the collection Mm -hmm. so it's just uh, it's like the process through and throughout so um uh, like to answer your question it's it's quite booming Mm -hmm. and i don't like if we're talking about representation and that is also has been a key player in terms of how we are dressing the new consumer of today modest fashion will always stay in the mix because it's all it, that too also is all about representation yeah yeah i think i learned a lot from you just now yeah about actually, modest fashion because true. like you're saying like it's typically associated with religion right but you can yeah. you cannot have a religion and just want to dress more modestly and you shouldn't think that just because i don't like exposing myself the way that it's typically seen on magazines and runways doesn't mean that i can't express myself through fashion mm-hmm. yeah, yeah exactly yeah, 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 fashion, the, war, the wardrobe or the garb, it needs to work for you, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah that's very And that's really good advice you gave about the runway, that you shouldn't want to wear something just because you saw someone else wear it and it's trending. But you should think, how can that be incorporated into my style? That's really good advice. That's how, you know, like towards like to wrap up our, the first topic that we started yeah. talking about when it comes to choosing your personal style, it's just that, you see something, you see how you can, you know, like mix it up and see what it looks like on you mm-hmm. rather than you changing yourself and become a part of the population, which is looks exactly the same on Instagram. Yeah, that was honestly, you're giving me really good advice right now because I'm in that phase right now where I was always, I grew up loving fashion a lot. But when I mm-hmm. entered this engineering work field, I'm a site engineer, right? So a lot of the times I'm wearing steel toe boots, like like loose slack so I feel like along the way I've kind of lost my sense of style and now I'm a lot about like comfort functionality blah 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 so I'm always like how do I incorporate the trend into my original style into my developing style so I think I'm gonna take that advice from you and and run with it yeah yeah (laughs) but no as in because I think so this is a really because we literally came full circle in our conversation we you know we kind of came back to fashion fashion at the end of the day so yeah Mm -hmm. I think this is a good note to sort of end so we wanted to say a big thank you to Aida, thank you so much for, you know, I know it's 1 p.m. in Vancouver, so it's 10 p.m. in Paris. And you haven't had dinner. Yeah, you haven't had dinner. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to make, um, what do I make? I think I'm going to make, like, broccoli with vegetables, like, carrots. Ooh, so healthy, healthy. Well, I'm actually, I have a health coach now. Ooh. Like, I, I didn't have one. I, I got one last year in uh, October because I thought like hey I'm gonna age very soon might as well start taking care of my body now before th- when I end up like my, being my mom's age and then I won't be able to walk or something like that right so I don't want to be that yet yeah. <laughs> start taking care of my body now so yeah I mean like I, I like obviously sometimes it's just 
like lose it and just eat rice and and beef curry but uh, <laughs> I do try to have a healthy diet but I mean sometimes it just doesn't work yeah. especially yeah. if you live in Paris and you have like like so many good croissants like staring at your face every single time <laughs> okay I actually, I actually i actually want to know like i've never been to paris but really? is it actually how delicious is paris croissant like how how good is it it's incomparable like this like if you taste croissants here and then you taste anywhere else in the world, you basically be like, what is this? I think it's dinner time because clearly we've moved on to food, yeah. lunchtime for us. So yeah. thank you so much, Aida. We yeah. really appreciate you coming on and talking to us for over an hour. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for taking the time. You know, and if we're ever in Paris, we'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> let me know when you're here. And um, yeah, and- I'll, I've, I've become the designated tour guide. Do you know that? <laughs> For the my friends who have ever done masters in the UK, yeah. they come to Paris. I'm like the poor guy showing them places. And this is Chateau de Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> showing things to people. And I'm like, maybe I should just start a side business or something. Exactly. So, but with COVID, I'm not sure it's going to work. Yeah, post COVID. Yeah. Your first customer. But yeah. Anyway, thank you so much and have a good night. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. For updates and to connect with us, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at, at That's What They Said Podcast. <laughs>